Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Big week last week. Halloween. Halloween. Twice over. Yeah, we. Uh, I served uh, Dennis Graham two ways. I was right. Drake's dad. Formal uh, and casual. Yeah, and... Uh, uh, Okay, new story. New story. We thought we were going to tell the Halloween thing, but we have to do this really quickly before, uh, I guess, our apartment gets taken over. So here yeah. we go. So we we were just here, and we were recording this intro, and the doorbell rang. We opened the door. We weren't expecting anybody here. It was our super, and he was standing there with a plumber, and they looked inside, and they said, yes, this is the one. And apparently, there is a leak downstairs in the apartment right below us, and mold... So shout out to the building's new ownership. <laughs> yeah. And they are coming right back up here with tools to go into our wall. And blow this shit out. So number one, thank God we recorded this episode today. Yeah. This morning. And that this didn't happen when Yvette was here. That would be really bad. Yeah. Um, But I guess good in terms of the... The mold getting taken care of? Yeah. Great for our, our neighbors downstairs. Um, and by the way, we knew this was happening. Well, the, the floor was buckling and I told our super like last week, I said, Hey, something's not right with the floor. You know, you walk on the same floor for 10 years when the floor is buckling, you can tell just the slightest, you know, difference. Yeah. So we need to get out of here before they like blow out our wall. Right. So a few things just to mention real quick. Number one, please go vote tomorrow. Tomorrow's election day. This is super important. Don't be stupid. Don't sit home. Don't be inactive. Go vote. And vote blue. Vote Democratic. Don't be stupid. Okay? <laughs> That's number one. Number two. Number two. Uh, fuck mold. Fuck. Yes. Yes, we are not on the side of mold. Yeah. Mold is on the wrong side of history. Vote no mold. Yeah. Number three. Please go to itsthereal.com slash shop right now. Grab an It's The Real t-shirt, an AKA t-shirt, a Rockefeller t-shirt, a Rough Riders t-shirt. Um, grab a rhyme book. Support your boys, It's The Real. Let's keep this pirate ship moving in the right direction. Number four? Number four. Today on the podcast, we have Yvette Noel Shore, the super... Well, she's a superhuman being. Yeah. But the super publicist for people like... Beyonce, Destiny's Child, John Legend, Adele, a whole host of people. Oh, I just realized I didn't get to do my Adele impression for, for <laughs> Yvette. Oh, but do you want to do it right now? Thank you. Uh, you know what, Jeff? Perfect. No, I'm... Wait. Perfect landing. Please call me Adele, first of all. Perfect execution. Thank you. Jeff only saves that for when we travel to England. Anywhere. <laughs> when I go anywhere, I'll do it. Yvette is somebody who has worked with some of the biggest names in the music industry, but... We're so excited to be able to tell her story. Yeah, she's someone who has overcome all the odds again and again and again. Whether it was her as a young mother in college trying to make a career for herself, whether that was moving from being an editor at a publication into the field of music publicity, or whether it was 
dealing with the aftermath of her home burning down at 11 o'clock in the morning. But also, just the fact that she is a small-town girl from Grenada, and then coming through to Brooklyn, where she gets bullied, and, you know, surviving a bunch of different things that that a lot of people might have... It might have put them more into their shell. She was the one who burst out. Yeah, so shout-out to Yvette for coming over and sharing her story, and hopefully you guys get a lot of inspiration and... Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I think that we got to go. Yep, there it is again. All right, we are just all over the place. There's about to be construction, but but we're going to recommend three podcasts for you to listen to. Jeff, which ones are they? Uh, number 128, Nadeska Alexis. Shout out to Nadeska, who was out in Cleveland with us when we uh, went to the Jay and Beyonce tour, and... She's just an amazing person who you guys know from Everyday Struggle, but she has this long career before that in journalism and behind the scenes. And she's just such a dope person, and we were thrilled to hear her whole story as well. Uh, Number 77, Sherry Bryant. Shout out to Sherry Bryant, who's now over at Alamo Records, which you guys know from Smoke Perp and Bear and some other people. But she is long tenured in this business, having worked at Rockefeller at 16 years old. And later for MMG over at Atlantic and Warner with their whole deal there. She's an incredible executive. She has such an inspirational story. And uh, shout outs to Sherry Bryant. Uh, Number 194, Brian Nolan. Shout out to Brian Nolan, who now is working at Capitol Records out there on the West Coast. But he did have a long career over at Columbia, worked with everyone from J. Cole to 3-6 Mafia. And he's just the greatest dude from Silver Spring, Maryland, the greatest dude, period, and had an amazing story to tell. Uh, actually, what are your guys' names? Yoli. Yoli? Yes. Abero. Abero? Yeah. Nice to meet you guys. Yeah. Shout out to you guys. Yeah, shout out to Yoli and Abero, who are currently uh, sawing, sawing through a wall. Through a wall. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, when do you want to get into this episode? Uh, right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Cruise Control, a.k.a. Keep It 100. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Couple Screws, News, a.k.a. Ikea Furniture. <laughs> I'm not that good, but okay, do I do that too? Yeah. Yo. <laughs> it's Yvette Noel Shaw, a.k.a. The Nice Beast, David's Wife, Michael Mika, and Milan's Mommy. Yeah. Grenadian Princess. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> this is your third favorite podcast to waste time with. It's the real. That <laughs> what's happening? I am so good. Oh I'm my so god, good. we are so I happy to so see happy you. Happy to be with you guys. Oh my god, one so, of my favorite podcasts. You know, we we got that email from you and your team uh, inviting us out to Cleveland for the first night of the U.S. leg of On the Run Two. And we thought we were being spammed. Like, this is catfishing. This is fishing for our information. There's no way this was true. Getting onto that plane, we we still had our doubts. We didn't know that this was a real thing. When we got to Cleveland, uh, it still took a while for us to see anybody we knew. Then we saw Elliot Wilson, and we were like, okay, so it's just the three of us? Yeah. (laughs) And, And then once we stepped foot in that stadium, it was real. We met you. You were wonderful beyond oh, even you. comprehension. Oh. And we had the best time. And you but know what we else? still aren't sure how we ended up <laughs> in this like small group. Because it was only like 10 or 15 people, right? Yeah. And, and afterwards, yeah. too, you did mention, you were like, listen, 
Daytuan, you meant so much because you gave Beyonce her first cover. And, you know, uh, Nadeska, you mean so much because you're, you know, from Grenada. And then Elliot. And there were all these, you know, lines you could draw to each person. Yeah. And we were like, oh, there's there's nothing here. This is like... <laughs> Well, actually, there was. Um, I'm going to give him all the credit. Um, so we have a, a COO, mm-hmm. President COO, who is a Morehouse man, uh, well-educated um, businessman who is also a DJ. Oh, all right. And he loves music, you know, worked in banking before he came to Parkwood, but is a huge music fan. And listens to a lot of podcasts and looks for the best. And he he's the one that turned us on oh to, to you guys. And um, it was just really, really important to... We, we had come back from such a an amazing sort of elevation from the uh, European leg. Mm. And it was really important that some key people... And it wasn't even about... It really was not about... Uh, reviews because that's a whole different thing you know you just sort of you get the press list you you coordinate it and you you send out and you don't know and you, <laughs> but but uh, it was just really important that there were people like you like uh, Elliot who uh, live in this culture and uh, we wanted to make sure that you saw the first show you know uh, it was really great we yeah <laughs> I'm getting goosebumps but right Steve, now. It's but all Steve. No. I, I don't take credit for being fly. Well, no, no, but yeah. <laughs> Yo, shout out to Steve. Thanks yeah, for being a loyal listener. Yeah. But I do want to say this too. There were no expectations from you guys. You said, no, you, no, we stepped out that whatsoever. bus and you said, have a great time. That's right. Yeah, free right. rain and enjoy. Yeah. And we thought it was like Wyoming or something where you would fly like you know three hundred <laughs> people out, or like you know I was on the Rihanna plane, and so like you know we thought that this was this group thing, and it then we saw not. nobody on the other yeah. planes. We saw nobody at the hotel, and yeah. and and I heard and, the hotel was really nice. Oh, it was. My God, it Wait, was where the did best. you stay? Was your, I bet your hotel was nicer. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I, it, I doubt it because I saw photos of yours, and I was like, okay, I'm jealous. We had we had a really nice time. It, so thank you for very much for that. Where are you originally from? I was born in Grenada. Where in Grenada? Grenada. I was born in Birch Grove, which is a um, a lake village. It's right under Granitan Lake, which mm-hmm. is uh, the most beautiful and serene place. I try to go back every time I visit. And uh, I was born into a family of um, self um, self employed people. My grandparents. Uh, owned a lot of lands, we call it lands, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and um, uh, had nutmegs on their, on their lands, which uh, at the time I was growing up was a huge export mm-hmm. to the UK. And so that's how my grandfather made his money. And wow. he had a supermarket where I got most of my training and where I learned how to deal with people and where I learned how to be kind. And uh, and you would actually so um, you know you would go to the supermarket. Oh yeah, every for day. every but every for the entire town. Oh well, okay. So we had the supermarket in the village in Birch Grove, and then I would go to the massive supermarket. You know, you think yours is big until you go to the <laughs> massive supermarket that's next to the next to the bay, and they get all the goods coming in from Europe and coming in from Trinidad and other islands. So I would have to go shopping for. Our store, which at the time was one of three 
Can you imagine? I was helping to feed the town. Oh my Make sure God. they had stuff because there are a lot of people who, I don't want to go down in town. <laughs> I just want to go to Mr. Vivi's shop. <laughs> so uh, I would I would go. I would go. I was between 8 and 10. My grandfather would send me with thousands of EC dollars, which I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. He just said, take the bag and don't open it and give it to the man by the bay. <laughs> So that's and what you, I did. And you, and you did. That's what I did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how would I you get everything up, back? Um, so we had these buses. If you go to Google and you look like Grenadian uh, wooden buses from uh, the 70s, you mm -hmm. see they're wooden buses. And so they would do these treks back and forth between my village and town. And um, somewhere in the middle there, there would be a ride just for little Yvette. <laughs> so I would go back to the to the market to, and tell him, no cell phones, go back to the market and tell uh, Mr. Fred hmm. that I'm ready. And he would come to the bay and take all and load up all the seats, load up the back, load up everything and take a solo ride with me back wow. up to my grandfather. To and just hope that you ride. didn't forget like anything. <laughs> oh, I was good. My yeah. grandfather trained me well. I, I still to this day, to this day, make a list, write it in black and scratch it out in red. Wow. I still, to this day, I would go through everything with Mr. Bola at the bay. We've got, okay, we've got the sugar, we've got the salt fish, we've got the this, we've got, okay, okay, okay. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah, I would do it because, you know, it. when I went back home, I realized that the, the shop, the supermarket I grew up in, was really not as big as I thought. But the fact that everybody in our village was coming there and you didn't go through the aisles, there were no aisles, it was a counter. Hmm. And all of the stuff was piled up and you would give me your list and then I would fill the list and I would write next to what you, what you got, the price. And then with one line of 35 items, I would need to count it without a cash register. And give you your proper change. My grandfather taught me how to do that. Are you well. from a big family? Huge. <laughs> massive. Massive. To the point of I truly confess that I think I have some nieces and nephews that I have to double check their names. Oh, really? Put them on the list. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. them off like, in red. One, red yeah, yeah, my, sure. my brother has 10 children. Wow. My one brother has 10 children. It's a lot. It's a lot, <laughs> lot of cousins. I have... It's a lot of birthdays. I, 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 know about a, I know about a hundred cousins maybe that I'm really close to. Oh, my God. At family yeah. reunions, do you guys all have matching T-shirts? No. No. It's such an American thing. The first time I saw that, I was like, wow. <laughs> what are they doing? I saw them at Disney. There was like hundreds of people. Yeah. What's going on? No. We just sort of get together usually in somebody's basement mm -hmm. in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And you just take out all the furniture and we just... Wind down, wind down. <laughs> yes. So it was your it was your job to go and get everything for the supermarket. Yeah. And were you thinking that that was going to be your line of work that you would sort of continue yeah. in the in the supermarket? Yeah. I mean, I, I you know I thought early that I would do that, but do something else. Mm -hmm. I, I I saw my grandfather do several things. He had his farm. He had his store. He did on Thursdays. He played. The man who did the tours of Grenada, he went to the ships, he got the tourists, he showed them what the nutmeg looked like, he showed them where the lake was. He was a multitasker, so I never thought that's all I would do, mm -hmm. but I was thrilled to 
in my mind, in my very small mind, <laughs> as a little girl, think that I could take over my grandfather's business because he had trained me so well. But I had a fascination with words. I used to love to read, and I used to love to um, read the Sunday reading at church, and I, I loved what happened when your voice sort of hit mm. the top of the church, and you're, ah, okay. Mm. And um, I, I, I just loved that. So even when I was imagining taking over my grandfather's business, I also imagined being a writer. Mm. Yeah, which was weird for everybody in my family because they were Why? like, what is up with that child? Because we became doctors and nurses and teachers and lawyers, but... Uh, a but writer, not creative fields. No, absolutely mm. not. I mean, to my to the day my father died, he didn't know what a publicist was. Mm. He just said, "Can you pay your bills? And why do your clients need a spokesperson? <laughs> they can't speak for themselves." So yeah, they it's they you know just a very traditional Catholic Caribbean family. And um, there was a lot of tourism at that point, oh, or because now yes. there's a lot, but. <laughs> Sadly, yeah. I'm one of those Grenadians that's probably not as thrilled. Yeah, I'll talk well, stop to making you about it sound that. so good. <laughs> well, Grenada is Grenada is my heart, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think Grenada is a gem. And I think often um, the islands tend to uh, market to to bring in more dollars without thinking about preserving mm. the gem. Mm -hmm. uh, Grenada is doing a good job of it, but I I. I it's such a small island. I would hate to see it turn into like a, a twerking contest, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, um, when I was in, when I was growing up in in Grenada, I kind of, I kind of knew that it was a special place because uh, there were a lot of ships coming. A lot of the tourists came from the UK, not mm. so much the US. A lot of Grenadians returned from the US for vacation, but most of uh, the visitors came from the UK and the rest of Europe, including Germany. And oh my God, it was, it was just the most beautiful place. I knew growing up, I was growing up in a beautiful place. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it's all about looking back, but I knew it was special. Well, like what... Um, what would you see from other places? Like, were you seeing like you know U.S. media? Were you seeing like? No, I. You know, it's funny. I had a. I had quite a tunnel vision. Um, I listened to the radio. That's how I discovered um, David Bowie, mm. who back then was Ziggy Stardust. And uh, so I listened to that in a sneaky way. But <laughs> everything I was supposed to listen to was supposed to be Catholic hymns and mm. on carnival only. Calypso and Soka. But I went to Trinidad and I went to uh, Barbados, much bigger islands. And uh, that was in the process of coming to America. You have to go to those places that had an American embassy mm -hmm. to get your visa. And I, I thought they were great islands, but they were too big. Mm. They, they were just too big. So I, I knew that I was in this special place where everybody knew one another I could not walk down the road and not say hello to somebody without getting my butt whipped when I got back. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a really special place. Um, you know, you respected older people. Children said good morning when they passed by. Children, people used to leave their kids on my grandmother's uh, stairs mm. and because they had to go to work early and she'd take them to school. I just knew that I was surrounded by a lot of loving people, that um, your mother wasn't just your mother. Like, everybody's mother was your mother. Mm -hmm. um, Do you still know everyone on the island? That. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. And these days, because I've lived in um, 
the U.S. for so long, I don't know everybody's names, but I know their faces. Mm. So it's very customary <laughs> in Grenada to say, wait, you look like Mr. So-and-so. Oh, you're the grandchild. So, yeah. So people know you based on still your grandparents, your parents. Yeah. It's so a really nice place. when did you first think of leaving the island? I didn't. I didn't want to. I came kicking, you know, and screaming. I didn't want to at all. My mom first traveled. Uh, my mom had a lot of problems um, mentally. And they, they noticed that and sent her to the U.S. to get some help. Uh, my dad, once my mother sort of settled, she went in and out of mental illness until maybe her 70s. Um, and then she sent for my dad. And then together they decided they're going to take us um, only when we turned 14. Hmm. So my sister first came, she was 17. And then my brother and I came, I was 14, he was 17. And then my other brother and sister, and then one, uh, one sister was born here. So I didn't want to come at all. I knew I had like hot sun every day. I knew that when the rain passed, the flowers bloomed. I knew all of that. I was one of those crazy kids. And then I came in December. Oh. It was snowing. <laughs> JFK, Panam to JFK. Did you have a jacket? <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. I had white sandals and a cute little dress that I think Miss Nichols made for me, the lady up on the hill. She was really good friends with my mom. And uh, my dad was going to meet us at uh, JFK in those days. You know, it, it was pre 9 11. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're not just your parents because you're a minor, but your people that's picking you up could come all the way to the gate. Totally. So my dad had promised us we would not feel any kind of chill. He would bring uh, jackets for us. And so he brought sort of like a bomber for my brother. And he, he thought that was cool, but he thought he looked a little puffy. <laughs> and then he brought me this sort of plaid, right, white and blue, very appropriate mm -hmm. jacket, but it just, little coat, but it just was not warm enough. And I still had my little, um, like, cotton dress underneath and my white sandals. And when we came through customs and immigration and that air hit me, I just thought I was going to die. I oh. started crying, take me back to mama and mama. <laughs> I did not want to be here at all, at all, at all. My, my father had a very difficult time convincing me that this was the land of milk and honey. I was yeah. like, no, my mom, my mama and my papa are in the land of milk and nutmeg. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. And... You're 14, which is, 14. that's a tough age oh, to, to move, period. But you're moving to a whole nother country and environment. And yeah, and moving with parents that I love, but hadn't lived with them for a while. And, you know, was really close to my, my grandparents. And um, I was looking forward to seeing my mom and dad, but I just really thought they gave us the best life, leaving mm -hmm. us with our grandparents. Um it was hard for me. I was teased. I had a very strong uh, Grenada accent with maybe a little bit of a British lilt to mm -hmm. it because uh, we were colonized people. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, I was teased. I was called banana boat girl, go back home. I just had a really... I had a really hard time. I didn't have the latest fashion. I shopped at a place called Shopper's World on... Uh, church on Utica Avenue between Church and Snyder in Brooklyn, you know, 99 cents things, you know, because daddy said, you know, you don't have to have all that stuff. You're smart. <laughs> 
So um, that we, didn't, I didn't look good. <laughs> you, but you know what? He was right, though. He was right. Yeah. He was always right. Yeah. yeah. So so you moved to Brooklyn. Yeah. And Where in Brooklyn? 836 Utica Avenue. All right. Knocking the door. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. 836 Utica Avenue between Church and Linden. And um, that was a... Wow. That was culture shock for me. I bet. I came from a, a house, a five-bedroom house, uh, uh, two stories. We had the shop. We had the garage, all the beautiful trees around. <laughs> and there I was in the concrete jungle uh, going up, uh, I believe, three flights of stairs. And um, it was a small apartment. So I thought, oh, Daddy's not successful. <laughs> you know, and uh, he said... We're good. Hmm. We're doing well. And uh, it was just hard for me. I was just like, wow, it's like a two-bedroom apartment. Where do we all sleep? <laughs> we all, you know, so that was that, that was really, really hard. Yeah. How did you not feel, like when you were feeling homesick, what, what comforted you? Mama. I called her. Mm. <laughs> you know, and uh, long distance call, call and collect. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I called my grandma, and she'd always say, it's okay, honey, it's okay. The best thing for you is to see America. Hmm. America is nice. Um, so different kind of supermarkets. Yeah. Different kind of walking of around. Like, yeah. wow. Let me tell you what got me loving America. All right. <laughs> At the corner of Church Avenue and Utica Avenue. There was a Baskin Robbins. <laughs> and it said 31. 31 flavors. Yeah. And I didn't know what that meant. And I went in and there was 31 flavors. <laughs> and I said, I don't even, I can't even eat dairy now. Oh. <laughs> but I think I tried every single one. Oh my God. That, I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. You know, because back home you made vanilla. Yeah. And vanilla. <laughs> and coconut. And nutmeg. <laughs> You know, yeah. so um, that was the real land of milk and honey. That was, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, like, yeah, yeah <laughs> that was really amazing. Yeah. And, uh, how was school? Uh, school was um, interesting. I I always felt that I was a smart girl, um, and the reason I said that is because uh, my grandparents were successful in business, but they didn't have a formal education, so I knew I had to know a lot to help them. I would write my grandmother's letters for her when she was sending letters back to the US. So I, I knew, like I read everything. I, I had a newspaper route. I read the paper. I edited the paper before I delivered it. I was like that <laughs> nerdy girl. Oh my gosh. But when I got to school, my father took us, um, my brother and I, and we were both put back one year because they said that the Grenada education didn't was was not equal to the U.S. education. So I should have gone into the ninth grade, and I went into the eighth grade, and I was just really bored out of my mind. I, I made a lot of enemies because my hand was up all the time. I knew all the answers. It was just not a good start for me at all. But in hindsight, I think that my journey... Uh, was um, preordained. Mm. I think I had to meet the people that I met in the eighth grade. I had to meet the people I met in the ninth grade and so on and so forth. But it was really difficult. And I met some amazing um, teachers that really sort of, maybe they pitied me or maybe they just liked me, but mm. they really understood that I was um, struggling, but not struggling with my work, struggling to get out of the class, to go to a 
to a higher class. I was I, I knew what I wanted to be. You know, I said I wanted to be a writer. They wouldn't give me a type a typewriting class. I was like, I have to learn how to do that. Yeah. You know, so it was just like things like that. And there was a woman, uh, Miss Gold. And she was my first Jewish teacher, <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant. But she would uh, she would leave early on Fridays, and you know, just things like that. And she would sit with me and sort of tell me what that meant, and she would teach me things about her faith. And she really took she just took an interest in me. So whenever something was going on, and um, she was like, Yvette, you could do that. You could do that. You could enter the poetry contest. You can do this. You can do that. That's wonderful. Bless you, Ms. Goal. Wherever mm. you are today, she was incredible to me. Whenever I felt bullied, I was bullied. <laughs> I was really bullied at Erasmus Hall High School in Brooklyn. Mm. I would run into her office, and uh, she, she was like, you're better than that. How You're special is that? that? Yeah, she was really special. So all of those things that people say, you know, they, you know, we have such uh, race relations in this country, but also just right there in Crown Heights, you know, there was such so much issues with the black community and the Jewish community, and I'm telling you, unscientific mm -hmm. in my approach, Miss Gold, <laughs> she was special. What was the first time taking the subway like? Oh my God, that was the weirdest thing. <laughs> it was so loud. It was so loud. And, uh, you know, uh, that was, I mean, I came here in 75. So Subway was graffiti mm -hmm. and there were people flashing you and there were people cutting your face. And mm -hmm. it, I mean, it was, it was a violent, violent time. And I, I have a Subway story. I was on um, the D train. I was waiting for the D train on church and... Uh, 8th Street, I think, in Brooklyn. And uh, I had these really beautiful iridescent um, earrings. It matched my iridescent jumpsuit because mm. I was in love with the police. <laughs> and uh, Sting used to wear an iridescent Oh, got it, yeah. So I wore my iridescent jumpsuit with my iridescent earring. And I was running and it fell. So I let the train go. And I jumped into the subway you to went get down. my earrings. Yeah, and then this man was coming older mm -hmm. at the time i was just you know i was just quite young i was probably 16 or so and um <laughs> he said what are you doing <laughs> if you touch that third rail you're going to fry up mm. I said, ooh, ooh. Okay. <laughs> there is and, nothing good yeah. down there no, like, there's yeah. nothing and i saw rats and i yeah, saw yeah. garbage and i saw everything and i remember that man just putting his hand down and pulling wow. me up and he was a he was a caribbean man and he put his finger in my face let me tell you something. When a Caribbean person yeah. put their <laughs> finger in your face, you better learn. He said, young lady, I hope you live to be 80 years old. You will never do this nonsense again. I'm like, no. <laughs> I still didn't get the earring. So oh, I walked away with, uh, with one earring forever. Wow. I'm still doing my That was a look, earring. though. That was a look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Holy cow. Yeah, yeah. So by the time that high school was ending, you're a creative person. Do you want to still go into writing at that point? Yeah, I am adamant that I'm going to go to college and study journalism. And I was going to go, I picked out my top colleges. It was going to be UCLA and it was going to be um, NYU uh, and possibly Syracuse. Wow. That's it. That's it. That's it. Then I fell in love. Oh, all right. I fell in love. I didn't study as hard. I wore tight jeans the day <laughs> of my test and I didn't I was uncomfortable and I didn't test well and so I sort of missed 
uh, NYU by probably like 10 points. Oh, man. I mean, that's like a killer. And um, I was on the wait list, I believe, for UCLA. Don't know how that happened since I missed NYU. But then I fell in love with my boyfriend. All right. Who's my husband of 36 years. All right. <laughs> and um, I was like, oh, oh, I need a, I need a school without a dorm. Because <laughs> we were living together when I was 17, bad what? girl. I'll tell you that story. <laughs> Met him that Wednesday. Had a date to see Quadrophenia on Friday. Moved the in who? by Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Moved you in moved by in by Sunday? Yeah, Caribbean Catholic parents. That doesn't go well <laughs> with them. They were haunting him with a machete. It was oh, terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but um, yeah. What was, what, yeah, what was more scary, moving in with him or touching the third rail? The third round. <laughs> he was awesome. He's still awesome. Yeah. Who, and where did you guys meet? How Burger did you meet? King. <laughs> Burger King. Yeah. I defied my my dad who said, I have five jobs. My child don't need to work. You just need to concentrate on school. But I still went and got a little job after school. Oh, you were working at Burger King? Yeah. What were you doing? My polyester uniform. Oh. <laughs> And uh, I was a cashier. All right. And because the manager said that I could convince anybody of anything, including getting a waffle with cheese with extra mayo and a Diet Coke. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he said, you could talk anybody into anything. So um, I did. <laughs> and, um, you were upselling people at Burger King. <laughs> I was. I was. And appa apparently my husband, uh, well, my boyfriend at the time, well, my stranger man who mm -hmm. fell in love with me yeah uh david shore walked in and um apparently had been on my line for a couple of times you know, okay a couple of times and the manager has been had been paying attention to him because he was like other people are here and this guy is going on her line no matter how long so they kept but he didn't do anything he just came i never noticed him and that day he opened his mouth and ordered a chicken sandwich and my name and my phone number and i was like and i was like you're crazy and i you know burger king had these microphones and mm -hmm. i was talking into the mic because you're talking <laughs> but the whole restaurant was hearing me like turn him down like get out of my face you know i'm not looking for a boyfriend what you need my number what do you need my number for <laughs> you know and my manager came out of the uh um harold was his name he came out of the um office and said turn it down turn it down turn it down <laughs> you're embarrassing the guy look at him he's turning red you know and for some reason he upsold said, you. Yeah, I said, uh, I can't give you my number, but I'll take yours. And I called him and I said, you know, I'm not looking for a boyfriend. My father will just murder me. I just can't, you know. And uh, he said, uh, do you want to see Quadrophena? And I said, yes. <laughs> and I spent two days becoming a punk rocker because he looked very punk. I cut up my dad's um, jacket and oh I put pins God. in it and I tried to look like Grace Jones, uh -huh. and I met him <laughs> that Friday in front of the 8th Street Playhouse uh, on uh, 8th Street, and um, he looked really good. He was wearing a suit. He had cleaned up. He took the feather earring out. He wasn't wearing <laughs> pink pants. He didn't look like David Bowie. I was like, like you work on Wall Street. What's going on? He, you look like Grace Jones. I said, I thought I should punk up for you. He said, I should clean up for you. And that was it. Never went home. You... Got a job at Burger King against your father's wishes. I'm sure he didn't appreciate you cutting up the jacket to look like Grace Jones. He didn't. And you moved in with your boyfriend by the end of the week. My white punk rock boyfriend. What did your dad say to that? Uh, you know, my uh, 
there was only one member of my family that that even batted an eye, and that was my uncle, who was very, very upset and asked David if uh, if uh, his niece would be his uh, black experiment. Oh my God! <laughs> I was wow! Like, uncle, stop it! I know. <laughs> stop it! But um. Yeah, he was the only one, and he still teases me to this day. Uh, you know, it worked out, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, my, 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 uh, I don't know. I don't know what happened to my family. You know, they're so strict. But at some point, my mom and my dad said, the door is left open for you. And they, I think they thought I was having a crisis and that I would get over it really quickly, that, you know, Kids run away from home. Kids do silly things. I think they probably thought that I was about to do something really silly and I would come to my senses. Hmm. Um, what a bummer that you haven't yet. I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. So many years, right? So, so many years. So you did not go to any of the, th the of the three colleges you wanted to go to? No. No. So what was the plan to become a writer at that point then? I went to City College All right. and I entered the most in incredible four years of my life. I grew up at City College right there at in, in Harlem. Yeah. I um, I joined the school newspaper. I became the editor. First I started out as the entertainment editor, then I became the editor. I was in a group of sort of guinea pig students in the journalism program. Uh, we had the best professors. They left private colleges to come to, to um, to teach at City College. Uh, Michael Keating, Professor Michael Keating, was everything to me. Um, Professor Renee O'Leary, Professor Ernest Boyton, I will never forget these three people that took me under their wing. They would, they would show me the bulletin board was filled with opportunities. Apply, Yvette, apply, apply. You're smart, apply. Ended up getting major internships because of them. Where at? Um, uh, CBS News. Wow, CBS wow. CBS News on the New Jersey desk. I did that with a woman named Anna Phillips. Uh, I was pregnant with my son at uh, City College. I brought this little boy to school with me. Mm. I'm going to cry. Uh. Um, under my coat, under my coat, sat in classes, Professor Keating would stop the class every hour when I was pregnant so I could go to the bathroom. Wow. He said, you're getting bigger. I'm sure that baby's pressing down. <laughs> um, and not because I, not because I couldn't leave him with my now husband, mm -hmm. but David had a nighttime job. We would pass each other on the stairs. I would say, the baby's sleeping, blah, 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 so I could get to class. And then one day I was just like, that man is going to sleep all day. My child's going <laughs> to not eat and, like, be in the diaper. So I'm taking him to school with me. And my best friend would, like, change her classes so that she could watch wow. him. And we would just take turns holding the baby. And, yeah, that immigrant life, immigrant life and student life, I, 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 did, I did that. I did that. And um, I think my son is a better person because of it. He, he, he says that he's the struggle baby and that the girls are the record company babies, you know. He's like, Mommy, you, you, you had nothing when you had me. You had everything when you had them. That's why they're spoiled. Well, so what, what was it inside of you that said there's more than just, you know, I could, I could do one thing. I could just, you know, I could, I could not go to college. I could be a mother. I could find something that I don't want to do. 
What's the difference between that and deciding, you know what, I'm going to be a mother, which is a real job, and and strive to be what I want to be? Mama and Papa. My grandparents were always in my head. Um, And the, the fact that I go back to this place in my head, Grenada, I believe that I had a community of Grenadians that now were in Brooklyn that would not let me fall. Mm. I believe that that punk rock kid (laughs) from Ford City, Pennsylvania, was put on this earth to love me. Mm. And I truly believe that he would be there to help me, that my brothers and sisters would be there to help me. And it was true. Mm. It was true when I needed a break. Packed up the car, took the kid to Brooklyn. I said, I have to study now. Studied, went back and picked up my kid. My community, my community made me feel that I could do it. And watching my grandparents work morning, noon, and night to take care of my brothers and my sisters and myself, particularly when my mom was having an episode of her bipolar, um, hid us from that. I I knew I could do it. I had mm. to do it. I had to do it for mommy. I had to do it for my mom. I had to do it for my grandparents. Mm. The How idea d- of making them ashamed or embarrassed was not an option for me. How did you change as a mother? Um, I think that it's been a journey for me, a real journey for me as a mom. My With my son, I was so young. I was 22 when he was born, 21 when I was married. Um, Didn't know anything. Didn't know anything. Read every pregnancy (laughs) and baby book, but never read the chapters that were the bad chapters, the things that could go wrong. I I didn't want to know them at all. Um, That's naive. By the time the second baby comes, I want to know everything, everything, everything. So older than they were nine years between the babies, um, had a real experience with my second child, uh, was in the hospital for a month before she was born. Uh, it was a terrible, terrible last four or five weeks of the mm. pregnancy. Um, with the youngest, um, my now 22 year old, I came back to just, she brought like this sort of level of calm from the pregnancy to her birth to who she is right now. I, I think I'm, I was three different mothers. Hmm. I really, you, because you have to mother children for who they are. Hmm. I don't think you can mother each child the same way. Once their personalities start kicking in, you know what you have to do for one child, Hmm. um, a little different than the other. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not an easy thing to do because, you know, your first child, you're in college and he doesn't care. No, <laughs> no. I have my, one of my favorite photographs of myself as a young woman. I'm sitting at this um, uh, illustrator's table because my, my, my husband used to draw and paint. because It was either that or a desk, so... It became my desk. And I'm sitting there doing homework. There's a box of diapers right there. 
I'm writing, and I'm nursing. Oh my god! <laughs> and doing it all. That yeah. was my college life. That was that was what I did. So, b- by the time you graduated college, what was the next step? So I was really anxious to start my life, and I got a job in my last year of college. My uncle, who didn't <laughs> didn't like David at the beginning, got me a job at a financial institution. He said. I know that's not what you want to be, but you should learn everything and you should learn about money. And I started working for a company called Beneficial Finance and they would make these small loans and people would come and pay back the loans uh, in person. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember just um, feeling that school was, I was not over school, but I was like, I was ready. I was yeah. like, kind of ready to, to get out. So I didn't go to my graduation. I did not pick up my degree. I was already had my life. It was earlier this year, earlier this year that I went to do a speech at City College, and they surprised me and presented me with my degree. That's, wow, that's I wonderful. I almost passed out because <laughs> I just, you know, things happened. Every day I'm going up to get it. I don't go to get it, and <laughs> and then. Um, yeah. You earned it. Cameron had yeah. a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. He hid it from me. <laughs> yeah. So that job, was it was it beneficial to you, so to speak? I feel like I was learning so much about people, and I feel like I was getting a lesson in finance that I did not get in college. And I felt very obligated once again to family. My, my uncle had gone out on a limb to get me that job, and I was just like, graduation. Or the lady from the Bronx who took the train all the way down to pay her bill. Mm-hmm. And she wants to be on time. So so how important was it to you to know what you didn't want to do? Oh, very important. Still to this day. Still to this day. I always say I'm the girl who came through the record industry and I poured my own water. Because mm. I just didn't want to be the girl that was caught up in whatever drug culture was going on. I, I appointed myself the girl that was going to drive everybody home. Mm. And so I made decisions very, very young, what I want and what I don't want. And whenever I don't do that, I get burned. Mm-hmm. Whenever I do something that uh, just wasn't, I'm like, uh, why did I do that? Yeah, my listening to that inner voice uh, has been my my strongest suit. I'm assuming you leave the, the financial institution. Yeah. And you go to Blackbeat Magazine. I do. How did you get in there? And also, like, what was your musical background in terms of, like, you know, what you were listening to at that time to to get you into there? Well, I went back on a recommendation uh, from a professor that um, said that I should go to these college fairs, college job fairs. So I went to Hofstra University. They had a they had a oh far out had, yeah they had a job fair for any student in uh, the New York City area and I went out there didn't even know how to get out there yeah I it's still don't far. know how to get out oh there. my god Hofstra is so far and did I you have to get like there. a boat I think I, I think I took a boat I think I took a boat but I got out there and on my one of my first um, interviews interviews um, uh, was with uh, Gannett Westchester newspapers. Yeah. I knew I wanted to be a writer, and I just sat there the whole time for a long time. There were other people waiting, and I just was really curious about how a newspaper, you know, comes together. And they offered me a paid internship right then and there, so I ended up doing that. 
um, and uh, was learned <laughs> learned to drive. I I actually said to them, they said, "We'd love to have you. Your writing examples from school are you know are, are really good, and uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, so you'd have to drive up to uh, White Plains." I said, "Of course," and then. Uh, I said, when do I start? And he said, a week from now. And I said, oh, no problem. And I ran out of there crying, called David. I was like, David, oh, my God, I think I told a liar. I think I, think I could drive. I don't know how to drive. So for one week, I took lessons. In oh one God. week, I got my license Amazing. so that I could drive. Yeah, I, took, I, I did that. And while I was there, um, uh, I got a call from a girl I knew. And she uh, she said that, uh, Blackbeat was looking for an editor. So I went into, I said, Blackbeat, I know right on. Why would I want to work for Blackbeat? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she said, oh, stop it, you should come. <laughs> and I went and um, John Plunkett uh, was my boss. He was a rascal of an Irishman. <laughs> oh my God, we would sit and he would, we would just chat and he would tell me all about his culture and he'd never come to work, obviously, on uh, St. Patrick's Day. He's like, that's my day. <laughs> and we just used to laugh. We, it, the, the, the whole culture thing was so important to him. I would mm. tell him, well, I don't come to work on Labor Day. He said, nobody goes to work on Labor Day. I said, oh, that's the, that's the Caribbean Carnival. He's like, I said, you got to give me another day, you know, but, um, we had the we had the best time, but he hired me on the spot again, mm. and I was actually fighting with him, saying, "Please read my writing. Show me that you're going to give me an edit yeah. test, you know." And then he finally said, "Okay, okay." And I, I you really with, were that like nerdy girl trying to just like you know yeah. raise your hand, yeah. Well, well because give you me know, more. because I had my portfolio, it's yeah. important. Right. I do my portfolio, and then he basically said. It's Blackbeat Magazine. I'm looking for a black girl editor. You're hired. I'm like, no, John Blunkett, no. Right. That's not how you hire people. <laughs> yeah, so I stayed there for ooh, a long time. Eight and a half years I stayed there. Wow. Yeah, and then um, I was getting ready to, to close the magazine. We were shipping in a couple of days, and I realized that I had not written my review of uh, Mariah Carey's album, mm -hmm. uh, Music Box, I think mm -hmm. it was. And um, I called Larry Jenkins, who was then the head of the media department at um, Sony Music Columbia Records. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't have the music. I want to do um, a review. He said, I don't think we've sent it out yet. I said, yes, you have, because I work for a company where there are other magazines and they have it. So Larry, send it to me. And he's like, um, oh, my God, Yvette, let me, let me get them to send it to you. And then he called me back and said, wait, I'm looking for an editor. You, you have so much passion. I've been interviewing publicists, but maybe I should interview a writer. I was like, Larry, <laughs> just send me the music, please. Long story short, I went up to Columbia Records and Larry Jenkins hired me on the spot. And he said, I don't know what it is, but you could make a great publicist. I'm like, you're crazy. I don't even like publicists. Right, you've yeah, they, you've been fighting them, them your, they, for yes, eight years, and, they, and they, they 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 fall apart at very important times. So they invite you to an event, they've got the list. They don't. They say you're not on the list. They don't. <laughs> it's, I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I just I don't want to be stressed like that. I don't want to be rude to people. He's like, calm down. You're starting on Monday. Monday, I got there. My name is on the door. Spelled correctly. <laughs> That's a big deal. Yeah. And yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. And on my chair is a folder that says Mariah Carey. So I quickly pick it up. 
And I run down to Larry's office and I said, I guess the person who was here before <laughs> left, left the Mariah it. Carey folder. He said, Yvette, you need to study everything about Mariah Carey. You're no longer a fan. You're her publicist. And he'd never even sent you the album. <laughs> me, well, send me the album after. Before yeah. he hired me, I said, you have to, you have to send me the album. So, so I, do it. I should go back and see what my review said. <laughs> I hope I like the album. Hey, guys, just want to take a second to interrupt the podcast to let you hear a little bit of the construction that's going on in our apartment right now. Taking off a piece of the wall. There's some pipes back there. Very exciting. Yeah. Anyway, uh, also go to itsthereal.com/shop. We'll be selling pieces of our wall <laughs> over there. T-shirts, books, anything you want. Itsthereal.com/shop. And now back to our friend Yvette. Give us some context of who Mariah was at that point. What was in that oh folder? Oh my <laughs> goodness! I mean, success, just success. You know, I mean, it was a folder of. Uh, the press report. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what, what can I do? But what was missing at the time was black press. Mm. And I think that they really wanted me to come in and um, pretty much court all of the people that I had been on the beat with, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. To, to, you know, because um, she had a lot of pop, she had a lot of mainstream. Not a lot of uh, black uh, press. She didn't have Ebony. She didn't have Essence. She didn't have like the main things at the time. And um, so my first thing was to get her on the cover of Ebony magazine. Mm. And uh, I was scared to death. I was like, oh, okay, they're, this is, they're setting me up to fail. The other thing you have to remember, it's 1993. Right. Mariah Carey is married to my ultimate boss, Tommy, Tommy Matola. If I fail Mariah, I fail Tommy I'm probably out the door at 550 <laughs> Madison Avenue. Also, he was living in Westchester, and you can never work in Westchester again. Exactly. So Gannett. Exactly. So Gannett wouldn't even hire me, yeah. right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but what a time I had. Um, they threw you in the deep end. They, You know, I keep saying that they threw me in, and they said, you know how to swim? <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> you know, but um, you're from Grenada. You don't know how to swim? Yes, you do. Oh no, I do. I yeah, do. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Metaphorically speaking, yeah. But yeah, yeah. you know, honestly, you know, throw you in. Do you know how to swim? That's how I learned to swim. Yeah. My oh, aunt is that right? Threw me into a river, into a big current, and said, "I put a bamboo rod and said, come." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. aunt is this? My aunt Camelita. All right. Shout yeah. out to her. <laughs> so, how was working in a big building like Five Fifty Madison? overwhelming i bet um i don't like i don't like high rises <laughs> i mean i guess it wasn't considered a real tall tall building but i was the first first time i went there was on the 26th floor mm. and i was like ooh, mm. that's a lot i mean at, at blackbeat i was like <laughs> on the fourth floor <laughs> and you can get down the stairs in no time yeah. and when i was at um, Gannett Westchester papers you just drive in and you're there like and when you were uh, living in Brooklyn it was a third floor walk third up floor. Yeah, like, yeah, it was yeah. like manageable yeah. and the apartment in the, in the East Village ooh I didn't tell you that we live next to the Hells Angels but that's another story oh you did <laughs> yeah but it wait was why didn't you get their leather jackets I, yeah, <laughs> I know I know they were good neighbors yeah I'm sure they were good well they were good too when I first got there they weren't good to me but just, they, yeah they watch out for the motorcycles yeah, and you're good yeah, but yeah they were you know eventually you know we all get old right yeah we all get older we all get milder yeah, yeah. but um, Sony Music was 
the best learning experience a girl could ever have. Uh, I worked on the Larry Jenkins with Tommy Matola and of course Donnie Ina were mm -hmm. uh, running the ship and um, really took a chance on a girl with no experience with their biggest act. And I stayed there and they kept giving me their big acts. And I'm like, I kept saying, this is a setup. This is a setup. Like in my brain, I was working and doing the work, but there is another part of me that constantly thought every day I was there, I would be fired. I had a little box under my desk. A music box. A music box, <laughs> literally. Yeah. A little box where I said I could, the minute I'm fired, I could fit all my personal stuff in there and just walk out. Every day that I worked, calling the Oprah Winfrey show, calling the Today Show, calling the New York Times, still thought this is a setup. There is no way I could be doing Mariah Carey's press. Then time goes by. There is no way I am working with Destiny's Child. Time go. There is no way I'm working with John Legend. Like it just kept coming and coming and coming. It was crazy. Do you think that the fear, this may be a weird question, but do you think the fear sort of catapulted you to do the greater things Absolutely. that you did? Absolutely. I do my best work when I am shaking like a leaf, you know. Back and, against the wall. Uh, yeah. I just, you know, you, 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 where do you go? You have to go up. You have to go up. I don't recommend it because, you know, maybe for people that sweat, it's not a good thing. I don't sweat, so mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. stay very calm. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I don't look crazy when I'm nervous. But, um, yeah, it's not a good place to be, but it has worked for me. So what are some of those early wins that you had, though? Ebony Magazine. Ebony Magazine for uh, Mariah winning over the late John Johnson after I stepped on his toe and decided <laughs> that I was going to put his staff at the table that I was going to seat them. And he had he told me that this is his empire <laughs> and he chooses who sits at the table. And I said, no problem, sir. But I said it in my Grenada accent. And so he fell in love with the accent and felt sorry for the immigrant. And he was really great to me. Um, I guess another big win was uh, we did... Uh, Destiny's Child, I think, when I finally got a mainstream um, shoot for them, it was a magazine called um, Teen People. Mm -hmm. That was really big because um, before that, I was not getting any love. <laughs> I was not getting any love for them. It's so funny how this business works. Um, and a huge, huge win that to my dying day I'll remember is... Um, I think it was the LA Times first piece on John Legend that said something like um, a singer that lives up to his name. Wow. And there was no fanfare. We basically just put the album in a jiffy bag and mailed it, <laughs> mailed it out and just said, listen and call me. I just believed. I just believe that he had something really, really special. That is a classic album, by the oh. way. You know, I love John. Mm -hmm. I'm very proud that I could say I have a friendship with John after all these years. But I'll tell you this. John has put out some great, great work. He is an EGOT. Mm -hmm. Congratulations, John. But I'm telling you, that first album. I go back to that first album 
Get Lifted oh. is still lifting me. Yeah. What yeah. a great album. We were at the uh, the anniversary party a year and a half ago, something uh, like that, here yeah, in the yeah. city. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so who is who is working that project? Kawan Prather? Yes. Yeah. Kawan Prather. Um, Lisa Ellis, I yeah, believe, yeah. was the yeah. head of, uh, of uh, Sony, Sony Urban. Urban. Mm-hmm. Um Oh my gosh, who was, uh, I think Shanti Das was marketing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Cece McClendon, I believe, was mm. uh, radio. Uh, wow, yeah. we had such a team. Um, oh, it was incredible. Quincy Jackson, the great, oh my <laughs> God, the great Quincy Jackson uh, was assigned to him in marketing. Oh, she was, she killed it. <laughs> she killed it. Yeah, it was great. Um, you know, you you built up all these people, um, Mariah, Prince. Um, I wouldn't say I built them. <laughs> no, 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 but I'm saying like that, that, that. I was I was lucky enough to work with these icons. Mm. Yeah, icons. well, I mean, like you know, they they threw these huge names at you. Destiny's Child was somebody that was a group that you had to build up yourself. Um, you know, on on the publicity end. Yeah. So yes, definitely on the publicity end because nobody was returning my phone calls. Mm. Yeah, like uh, you know, they had gone through like a million name changes, and they hadn't. They they their first album, I think, only had like really just no no no. Well, actually, it was the first album that started. The, the, the build because yeah. when, when by the time they came to uh, Colombia they had gone through all the name changes so they came to Colombia as um, Destiny's Child and much respect to Matthew Knowles who just would not give up just mm-hmm. would yeah. not give up was he the one who like got the got the building like talking finally oh absolutely about yeah. absolutely uh, he would not listen there was a <laughs> moment where Matthew said that didn't you work Mariah come on come on get with it get with it you know um you know I think that uh early in the early days of Destiny's Child the competition was really really stiff and you know there was TLC and Vogue was doing their thing Mm -hmm. um SWV Mm -hmm. I mean Escape was sort of bubbling under I think Total um Total there were Mm -hmm. a lot a lot of girl groups a lot a lot of girl groups and you know shout out Respect. I mean, hands in the air, big clap to Wyclef Jean, mm-hmm. uh, my Haitian brother. <laughs> uh, because No, No, No was a fantastic song. But when he went into that studio and put that spin <laughs> on it yeah. and basically called them a young supreme, mm-hmm. I grabbed that line and said, ooh. We can start pitching that, <laughs> you know, and it's funny if you go back and you look at um, Vibe magazine early days, um, Emil Wilberkin was yeah. the was the uh, editor. Uh, we came up with the idea of let's picture them the way Wyclef saw them on the record. And uh, we had two covers, one Destiny's Child and one Homage to... The Supremes. The and so there, there was there were some great moments. But um, yeah, I think that now, of course, if you go to a Beyonce concert, um, maybe not this last one because there, there wasn't a, there wasn't any Destiny's Child, right? Mm-hmm. But if you like Coachella, for example, mm-hmm. you hear like the, the scream that happens when a Destiny's Child song comes on because it, it takes people back to a time 
when you know music was great people just loved it the three-part harmony like all of the stuff beautiful girls it, it's just um that was that was the most amazing <laughs> ride of my career yeah i'm still riding that yeah. it's yeah. just crazy how how larry jenkins just took a chance on me and i ended up working some of the best artists in the world what were your trl experiences like oh my god <laughs> uh well i'll tell you a trl experience that i had with bow wow okay i wasn't even his publicist i was helping <laughs> sure uh miguel Berger, but um he uh we did an in-store and then we went to TRL, I believe, or maybe... So it was the in-store at Virgin or whatever? Yes. Yeah, across oh the street. Times Square, yeah. And the fans were <laughs> crazy and I was trying to get in the car and basically I, I, I think I fell. I, oh, my I, God. It, it was, I think, it's the only time I felt like I'd gotten killed. Oh, my God. I, I, you know, during yeah. work because the, 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 the... And the kids just, they just sort of walked over me. Like, oh. Yeah, that was TRL was was maddening. I mean, the the lines of people outside the studio. They would shut Times Square down. Yeah, in that meridian, <laughs> yeah, where they would just yeah. stand there. I was just like, oh my! And then was it Tower? What? No. Oh, what was right there that you could do the in-store and then just walk across? Virgin, Virgin right? Megastore? Was it Virgin? Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, Tower was downtown. Ooh, I'm dating myself. <laughs> that was that was crazy. That was crazy. But, I mean, so many great stories of of, of TRL. I just, that was... And it became, you know... And 106 and Park. Yeah. You know? but th those two stops became necessary. Yeah. I mean, I am so old that <laughs> I could tell you, I could tell you that... I went to 106 and Park when it was on 106 and Park. Park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like, yeah, wow, that was really something. Yeah. Did you see it for AJ and Free? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Hmm. I remember when uh, AJ had a birthday or something and uh, Destiny's Child came to surprise him. And, huh. You know, I, I think that's probably still one of his fondest memories of them because uh, they, they genuinely cared about him yeah. you know and and free oh, free was everything free <laughs> is everything yeah. i just saw a photo of her i was like yes <laughs> yes by nice. the way it's our dream nice. to get aj and free on this podcast oh, yeah. Must. Yeah. 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 anything yeah. i can do oh, i know well, aj you. well oh. i will tell him he doesn't return our emails yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna have to tell him i'm, I'm texting him today <laughs> i do want to say something other you know away from like just the publicity thing i wanted this was key for me um I actually wrote it down how much I wanted to tell you this. One of the highlights of my years at Blackbeat Magazine was with no other than Tupac Shakur. And uh, I was invited to go to the set of Poetic Justice. So I thought that, oh my God, I'm going to get to talk to Janet Jackson, you know? <laughs> But they were like, no, 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 no. You could talk to Janet some other time, but this is Tupac's press day. And I went and they were shooting in like a neighborhood. Like we drove up, cul-de-sac and everything, a neighborhood. Yes, it, I thought I was going to a set, but the set was an actual neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember whose publicist was, but I remember they told me to go into, uh, not the dress, it wasn't a dressing room, it, 
trailer. The, the trailer. Yeah. To the trailer. And I waited maybe a few minutes, and then there was a knock on the door, a very polite knock on the door. I was like, come in. <laughs> this, this is your trailer. And what I believe to be the most handsome eyelashes <laughs> I have ever seen in my life walked in. It was David. Uh, <laughs> it was Tupac Chico. And I remember saying to him, I, just, just out of, I was like, you have the best eyelashes in the world. And he just cracked up. <laughs> and then I went into this whole long thing with him. Like, why is it that men have nice eyelashes and women always have to like do something to this? And he just stood there, sat down and just listened to me and the beauty thing. And then I said to him, I said, I hope you cover your face when you get into fights. <laughs> and he said, yes, from day one, my mama said, cover my face. But that's one of my wow. fondest memories. And I, it was on a cassette. I was given about 35 minutes to talk with him. I think I probably spent an, over an hour with him in his trailer and the fact that nobody stopped us even though he was supposed to go back on set it was an incredible incredible interview and um it's the one interview it's the one thing one of a few that i had from blackbeat magazine mm. that did not get destroyed in my house fire in uh, 2008 so somewhere wow. in my house it's hidden this gem of an interview oh my God. with uh, Tupac. I hope it's still on there because, you know, you can't play cassettes anymore. Yeah, yeah. Really. But, um, yeah, I will never do anything with it. But it just, it. Uh, I saw another side of this guy who sat and spoke so beautifully about his mom, his love for his mom, bless her soul. And um, I just remember coming out of that trailer just grinning from ear to ear. I was like, Oh my God! Trust me, he said some things that I told him. It's Blackbeat Magazine. I can't, I can't quote you. But uh, one of one. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. What was the first time meeting Prince like? Um, it was uh, the rehearsals for. I'd gone to a few Prince concerts, but I'd never met him. But it was the rehearsals for 2004 Grammys. Mm. Uh, with Beyonce. Yeah. And uh, I went to a few of the rehearsals and pretty much pretended that he did, he was not in the room. <laughs> I had my head down the whole time and just like really not looking at him but smiling all the time. <laughs> oh my God, I'm in the room with Prince. Oh my God. Prince and Beyonce in the same room. <laughs> and, you know, um, a couple of months later after that iconic performance, I get a call from his then lawyer um, Londell McMillan, mm -hmm. and he said that Prince was going to go to the Today Show to do an interview, and it's rare, but he was going to go, and can I come and meet them? And I was like, why would I come to meet Prince? And he, <laughs> said, he said, well, he just did the deal with uh, Columbia Records for this one album, uh, Musicology, and it's... Uh, he may want to work with you. And I said, but why would he want to work with me? <laughs> so I got really nervous. And I don't think, I think I just walked over from the Sony building. And um, I just thought, hi, bye, back to the Sony building. <laughs> um, I was brought in, said, this is Yvette Noel Shore. And he said, 
Uh, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And I'm getting ready to go. And he said, wait. And I said, what? He said, I know you. I said, no. He said, we've met. I said, no. No, we have not. I said, I've been to a number of your shows. Always had bad seats. Never met me. <laughs> and he said, oh, yeah. You were at the rehearsals, the Grammy rehearsals, and you were in the corner smiling the whole time. Whoa. That is exceptional. And so I became the publicist for musicology. And then 10 years later, he called me when he was doing the two albums with um, Third Eye Girl. And... Um, yeah. Um, having worked with both Beyonce and Prince, did you get a kick out of the SNL Great stuff question. that they would do? Yes. You know? <laughs> the Fred uh, Armisen and uh, Maya, Maya Rudolph, Rudolph sketches. I thought, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, thought, I thought it was amazing. <laughs> you know, I, um, uh, I can't talk about Prince without always getting emotional. Mm. I always say that um, journalism school never taught me how to write a statement um, to tell the world that an icon has passed. Mm. That was very difficult for me. Um, but a highlight with Prince is that I, um, I, I, I booked him on, uh, on Saturday Night Live. And uh, he said... I came back to him and I said, you know, uh, two songs, you know, one before midnight and one just before the, uh, he knows that, <laughs> he knows that, he knows that. Well, no, I think I want to just do one long performance. <laughs> okay, that's not really what they do. <laughs> oh, uh, come on, you could do it. Brian at SNL was so great. And we did it. Prince did a whole performance without a commercial break. It was incredible to watch people watch him when he came for the rehearsal, when he came for the show. I was sitting in the dressing room, not his, I would never do that, <laughs> um, the work dressing room, just beside myself. I just, I, I just could not believe what was happening. I was just like, oh my God, oh my God. I am, I am, I'm the publicist for Prince. I just booked Prince on Saturday Night Live and they broke the rules and I, wow, 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 wow. That was, Unbelievable. I, I sort of stayed out of the way, <laughs> did his thing, and I remember just looking at him like, wow. And then he was gone. <laughs> <laughs> then he was, Prince has left the building. Yeah. In, in our line of work, um, over a decade, there's a lot of confusion from relatives as to, you know, what we do and... There was maybe one moment when we worked with Stevie Wonder where it was like, oh, grandma gets, <laughs> grandma gets Stevie Wonder. What Everybody was, gets yeah, Stevie Wonder. So who, who was that artist for you then? That I worked with? Yeah, where people could be like, oh, oh, oh a real job. A real job. <laughs> um, I think it would have to be Destiny's Child. 
um, because of such a generation, mm. such a generation. You meet these 35, 37 year old women who have these incredible stories of being at these in stores and, um, you know, Prince, obviously. But I think Destiny's Child and everybody from Destiny's Child, people, mm -hmm. because it's so tangible for everybody. It's so tangible. They could. They remember where they were. They remember every song. Yeah. Every song means something to them. Women say, this song made me do this. This, you know, um, Destiny's Child. Mm. Destiny's Child. I'm most grateful. I'm most honored that I worked with Destiny's Child. And I'll tell you this. If uh, I had to give up every single thing and go back in time in my career and pick one act to work with, it would be Destiny's Child. And you knew that the moment they walked in the building? Oh my God. I I think I knew that the minute I spent the weekend with them in in Houston. Mm. They, they came into the building and I think they had just signed them and they asked me to come down and I met them and I thought, oh my God, these four beautiful girls. And then I asked Larry Jenkins to let me go to, to um, Houston to spend the weekend because I, came from Black Beat and I was thinking one of the things I remember about Black Beat and covering the groups um, was that people people love groups but they also love the individual members mm. you know from from New Edition from New Kids on the Block you know and that goes all the way back to like the Beatles right oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. the Jackson 5 yeah. and the Osmonds people had like favorites um, that they identified with based on something that the person likes to do or something. So I put on my fanzine hat and went down there to Houston to get to know little things about the ladies that possibly would not have come through in a video or um, on the on the records. And I was glad that Sony, you know, paid for that. Yeah, <laughs> good investment for me to get to know them. So my so when I was pitching, it was I don't know I could say something. A little bit more meaningful about each each girl. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, um, number one in my book would be my experience with um, Destiny's Child and everything I learned from them, everything I hopefully um, taught them, everything they taught me, um, the respect uh, that those young ladies gave me from day one, each and every one. Every incarnation, the four, um, the four, the four, the three. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, right now I'm representing. Um, it's just weird for me that right now in my life in 2018, I I'm still working with two members of Destiny's Child. It's just you know, I mean, I'm working with Michelle as mm -hmm. well, and it's just the it's just a full circle yeah I'm I'm grateful I'm grateful to Miss Tina and Matthew for trusting me around their children because you know I consider all the girls their children particularly Kelly mm. um, and that I was not the the naughty record company person that they didn't want around their children you know yeah. I so I, I appreciate that. I appreciate them believing that I could bring something to the table and I would do it in a respectful manner. For sure. Yeah. Has Mama Tina ever um, designed anything for you? <laughs> yes, yeah, she has. Uh, she, she didn't do it just for me. She designed a line 
uh, called the Mestita line that I think I probably wore every single piece. Because I was like, you made that for me. For me. And it was affordable. But um, uh, all respect and gratitude uh, to Miss Tina Knowles, to Tina Knowles Lawson now. Mm-hmm. Um, she made my daughter's uh, prom dress. Wow. She did. I watched it. I I watched her. I I, wa- I watched her put every bead on that dress. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible. It's still one of the most beautiful dresses. The dress no longer fits, you know, because my daughter is longer. <laughs> and, you know, so, but I am keeping that dress. I'm telling you, my granddaughter is going to wear that dress one day. You know? so. Has she ever told you a joke? Miss Tina? Yeah. <laughs> She's known for her jokes on Instagram. Um, has she ever told me a joke? She's funny all the time. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. funny all the time. I, I laugh at her jokes. I don't know if she ever sat down and said, let me tell you a joke. <laughs> but uh, I definitely look at all her jokes on uh, Instagram. And when I'm with her, I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> She's so funny. Yeah. Is there one Beyonce album that means more to you than the rest? Four. Four is the album for me. Um, the... Vocals on four, it's insane. But for me, it's all about the time. I see four as a, a, a time in our music culture that this artist shifted and said, everything you expect, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do something different. I feel like it was the seminal album it was the one that changed everything it was the one where people were like whoa whoa yeah it's one it's my favorite yeah it's my favorite were you nervous when she was gonna do her first solo album out of the destiny's child mold no not at all i i I don't think anybody was nervous i think i think everybody that worked at sony was excited um um don't forget that she did the solo album and there was still a Destiny Child album. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I wasn't nervous about it at all. Yeah. And how did the building feel? Excited? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I think everybody I think everybody was excited. I think maybe I mean I guess I can't speak for everybody. I, I maybe some people were like, Oh, oh, I don't know. Maybe they were nervous, but I wasn't. I I, I mean, how could you? You know, if it was just naive bet based on everything that was done with Destiny's Child, how could you even be nervous? How could you even doubt it? So she's gone on to heights that, you know, have superseded every other artist that I can think of. Mm -hmm. And how did that affect your role as a publicist in terms of like what new opportunities you could do for her? Well, I think everything um, that was happening with her music and her content was also, there was a shift also in the business. Um, the, I mean, the digital space exploded. Um, I no longer had a long, long, long list of print. There, there was some print that was going. Um, I believe her narrative became um, poignant and much more um, uh, stronger through what it is she was communicating in her in her music and i i feel that my role as a publicist um became uh 
definitely not the definition that's in the book. I think it became a lot more uh, creative and um, made me really want to learn uh, a lot more. Um, you know, you had to learn about the digital space. You know, I came out of Sony. It was very fragmented. You do this, this person do this, this. So um, I had to learn a lot more. And also, um, I just, I just humbly say that my role is to execute, execute, execute. I believe in the vision. I believe in the dream. I believe in this genius of a person. And I am beyond honored to play a ant-sized role <laughs> in, uh, in this sort of thing that she does. You are beyond humble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But when did you know that you were really good at your job? Um, a job you didn't even want. I know. I knew I was pretty good when... Humble. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was pretty good in um, probably October of 2013 uh, when I started learning that um, there would be an album that would have no promotion and you better get with it Yvette because <laughs> you're not you're not calling everybody three months ahead of time um, I went back to my writing skills you know I um, the only thing I had to do was have a press release that was really not a press release but really like a bio, a biographical packet of this album. And it would not go out until the album is out there because the album has to come first, the music and the visuals. But this piece, I, we had to anticipate that it would need to answer every question imaginable. Um, and so I was really grateful for journalism classes mm -hmm. and really grateful for uh, the people who in our circle edited it and made it something that was um, meaty, meaty. Uh, so I, going back to what you always know, you know, tell a story and... Um, and that's what I did. Mm. That's what I did because I had no other role. I had no uh, other role. They were, I, I wasn't calling up the New York Times. I yeah, wasn't doing right. any of that. But it, I had to, I had to make sure that that I think it ended up being like five pages. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Probably the longest thing I've ever written. It's usually like about a page and a half. <laughs> you learned that in journalism school. A page and a half, two pages. You got to go longer than that. You got to call it an addendum, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah. And I, I, um, you just become, you just become creative. You just, and, and, you know, I also anticipated that there would be so many journalists that I had walked the beat with, that I had courted before that would be, surprised but not a good surprise for them they'd be like oh how you know so I had to gently um walk that line with a number of journalists and uh wake them up at midnight 
wake him up at midnight and say, I just had to wake you up because I don't want you to wake up in the morning and find out what's going on. A mm. um, few people hung up on me. <laughs> Uh, and said that there's no way, there's no way you would call me this late. And like, I'm calling you this late because there's a shift. Mm. There's a shift. Something is happening. Um, yeah, I won't name names, but somebody, <laughs> somebody said to me, <laughs> somebody said to me, that is rude. <laughs> I'm like, oh, sorry. Yeah. But, um, but you know, my role has also sort of expanded because I, I am the I am the publicist for a lot of the philanthropic um, efforts. So I'm I'm involved with, you know, whatever she does um, to give back to the community. We have an amazing leader of Be Good. Her name is Ivory McGregor, and um, wherever she goes, uh, you know, in in Beyonce's name, uh, in terms of giving back to the community. We, 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 she does the boots on the ground and I do the words to get it out to the world, uh, whether it's the, the scholarship program, uh, whether it's the, the water, uh, addressing the water scarcity in East Africa and Burundi, uh, whether it's a, a concert like what's coming up in um, South Africa for uh, Nelson Mandela's 100th year of his birth. Uh, through Global Citizen, whatever it is, I, I tend to sort of get involved as the as the person who would get the information out. I always tell, you know, like a lot of um, people on Instagram or even people in my family, like, so when is this coming? When is that coming? I said, have I ever called you up and told you that? So I'm not starting now. Right. Yeah. Can you talk about the decision to leave Colombia? to leave the Sony family and go full-time with... With my own company. Yeah. Did yeah. it have to do with the height of the Sony building? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, Jeff. No more elevators, <laughs> yeah. Um, probably. <laughs> um, you know, keeping it with height, I had gotten to the highest place. And... Um, I felt the walls were closing in on me. I felt that I could not go any further where I was. And um, I also felt really scared that if they came to tell me I have to leave. You couldn't fit it all in the box. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't. I, I had grown so much. I had too many things. The box was too small. Honestly, I didn't. I, I wanted to leave before they threw me out. Yeah. And um not because I felt they were going to. Maybe they would have. You just never want to stay at a party I too just, late. I, I, yeah. I, the, the party was over. Yeah. I did not need to be sitting at the bar when the party was over. Right. I felt I had had a really good run. I did not leave Sony to go open up my business. I left Sony to go lay on a beach in Grenada. I had no plans. That was the first thing you did. Oh, I did. I I went to the beach in Grenada. I went to Vegas. I went. We had four vacations that summer. We went everywhere. You went nuts. I, I went nuts. Went nut Trust mag. Me, yeah, the yeah, bank, yeah. The bank. The banker was not happy. <laughs> yeah, financial guy was not happy. Um, but I didn't. I didn't leave to open up the business. My husband actually tricked me into opening up the business. I, I wasn't. I wasn't going to do that. I, I was thinking about maybe going back to school and, and teaching. I really want to teach. Really? Yeah. What do you want to teach? I want to teach journalism. I want to teach uh, comprehension. I want to teach communication. I want to teach young people how to speak. Mm. 
want to teach them. Good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that they should be reading, you know. Um, there was yes, a typo in, we were watching SNL, and there was a typo. They meant who's, you know, uh, W-H-O-S-E, and they put an apostrophe uh, S. And we're like, come on. Yeah. 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 You can't blame Instagram for that. No. <laughs> you can get away with that on social media, but ugh. You, you gotta fix that. Yeah. You gotta fix that. Yeah. Especially when that's the only language you know. Come on. So many people all over the world speak two, three languages. If you only know one, we need to perfect it. Right, right. Well, is emoji a language? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I speak in emoji all the time. Is that right? I'm doing this whole birthday countdown. Mm-hmm. And so at the oh, end Oh, by the way, of, we've uh, seen. Yeah, 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 yeah. At the end of it, I have to tell you that I'm happy, I smile, and I'm a scorpion, and I dance. So those. <laughs> Are, yeah, sometimes not in that order. Yeah. Yeah, but Sony, um, that was difficult. Yeah. You know, I talk about writing and how important writing is to me. And, you know, Prince's statement was something that I had to write. Um, the the bio for the um, self-titled album was something I'm really proud of. You know, but like, you know, writing, writing like statements, it's very like, oh. Like, how do you, what do you say to people? You know, they, they, they hang on at everything. I, you know, I wrote a statement to Gossip Cop, Gossip Cop that time. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that statement? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I sort of, it went a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, just like, uh, you know, uh, uh, but writing, writing to me is the most important thing. It's like. Deep down, I don't want to say I'm a publicist. Deep down, I want to say I'm a writer. And one of these days, I'd like to maybe uh, write a book, but not mm. about the business. Right. About my mom and her illness. I think it's still something that um, people don't really want to discuss. Uh, they're doing it a little bit more now, mental illness. Uh, but um, I will never in this lifetime ever write a book about the music business Mm -hmm. like every single artist could relax i have nothing well now you just disappointed the entire beehive (laughs) can't do it i would not do it i respect the people i work with way too much i will do an interview with credible people i will tell you and us Mm -hmm. yep (laughs) correct yeah yeah. You are one of those <laughs> credible people. Um, you know, about the experience. I, you know, I, I've had a career. I've had a good one. Yeah. I'm not ashamed to talk about it. I'm going to I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to protect and respect my clients' uh, privacy um, and their work ethics. But I will not, you know, I, I, I just, I don't know who these people are that just spend too minutes with somebody and they write a book like i don't i don't understand that are you shocked at how it, it used to be just like what page six right that was your gossip sort of central yeah now it's you know a million websites and they all have their own quote-unquote sources yeah. and it moves at the speed of light well i think that um it's a reflection on our world our world is very dark and very negative and I'm, I'm not hoping that people lose their jobs, but I'm hoping that they find jobs where they don't, where they're not thrilled to destroy other people. Yeah. I think that's really sad that you make things up about people. And as a former journalism student and somebody with a degree after having studied journalism, I, I am 
just so sad that nobody fact checked and nobody, you know, just write whatever they want. And uh, once it's out there, it's out there. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, that's disappointing. You had a house fire. I did. How did yeah. that change you? Oh, I'm changed forever. Um, uh, 2008, I was getting ready to do a press day for the album. I am Sasha Fierce. Was coming out a month later on my birthday, November 18th. And this Scorpio was season. Scorpio season. It's just a gentle reminder a that gentle yeah. December reminder. is coming up. <laughs> November 18th, yeah. people. <laughs> Turning 30 again. Um, and uh, it was October 8th. And I went to work. We were we had finished doing all of the sort of long lead press, and we were getting into uh, short leads. So I think we had the Associated Press and like USA Today on tap. And my husband called and said, "Come home." And I said, "Is this a booty call?" <laughs> <the shore?" laughs> and he said, "Come home. Come home. Our house is burning down." And I said. And I went home, and uh, the house I had just left hours ago was just a shell. Like, the fireman said I can go in after they got the fire under control, and he said, just grab what you can for sentimental reasons, but you can't live in your house. And there was nothing in the house, like, the, like everything. And, you know, as they were fighting the fire, everything they threw out was on the lawn. Michelle Williams, Michelle Williams. I turned around. I was bawling on the lawn. I looked up and Michelle Williams in her Louboutins <laughs> had canceled her own press day for her album mm. and uh, came to help me. Wow. It was, it was, it was terrible. It was terrible. But I'll tell you this. We had done a photo shoot, uh, maybe the week before and the stylist had all of these shoes and um, as I was leaving he said you know some of these I bought myself I don't have to return those that's you I, I can gift you that and I said oh my goodness it was a white pair of Louboutin pumps it was the first thing I saw when I pulled up to the house that was burnt and I can see like a little bit of the red with a lot of black on it. And the lesson for me was the expensive ones burn the same way as the cheap ones. These are not things that we need to put everything into, material things. We need to care about people much more than things. And I already knew that, but seeing that shoe that I had coveted days before, just like gone it's like all right there's a bigger lesson here we're alive you know it was an electrical fire it could happen to anybody mm, wow you know and the 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 good thing if there is such a good thing that can come after a fire is that we really did rise from the from from the ashes yeah. in that uh we rebuilt the house on this on the property and we built a house that was more a workable house for us you yeah. know, you buy a house and where did you live in the meantime? Uh, we lived literally on the other side of the tracks. So you had to cross the tracks to go over. Mm. Um, uh, in our town, yeah. I didn't want the kids to miss one day of school. Uh, so we stayed at our neighbors, our very good friends, for uh, about three days. And they did not miss school? And No. Holy the next cow. day they were back in school. Um, 
I, but they would, we would just sit around moping. So I was like, nope, nope. Um, their room uh, ended up getting a lot of smoke. Um, so we just went to Walmart and we went to Walmart and got some t-shirts and stuff. It was October, so it was not, it wasn't too cold yet. Um, and then my neighbor had two sons the same age, so the girls wore their bomber jackets. And then um, a group called Destiny Child, every single one of them, and the Knowles family within days boxes and boxes and boxes of things came to the house and we wanted for nothing. Um, we had an address by then. We had our, the lady who sold us the house, our realtor, convinced a couple who was living in China to take their house off the market and make it a rental for a year because we would need a year to rebuild. Wow. And she couldn't get them for days because of the time difference. So we stayed at our friends. The girls stayed with them in the in the big house and we stayed in the guest house. And then that Saturday, we just went around town looking, thinking that she was never going to hear from the couple in China. And they called and they said, um, let them have the house. And she was like, well, their insurance check doesn't come for another week. She's like, let them have the house. And we went into that house without putting one dime down because it takes a minute for the insurance. You know, they first they had to declare the fire as a clean fire. You didn't do anything wrong. That's kind of thing. And then, um, and then we so we had we had a mortgage and a rent for ten months, and uh, we moved back a little too early. Probably should have, but we missed the house so much. But um, now we have a better house. You know, there's, and we're better people for it. I think there's such. Like you said, there's such darkness and negativity in today's day and age, but um, the girls and their families sending you stuff, oh, the realtor looking out, and and the homeowners who let you stay in that house, that's a lot of goodness right there. And that's, a lot of goodness. I think, the best of what this country could be in that situation. Yeah. And that's. I think we are, you know. I think there are so many people like that. And I, I, I just think that... Those good people are quiet. Bad people are loud. They're really loud, and that's I what we're hearing. Saying that. I'll tell you. I know I talked about the Knowles, but I want to tell you a specific story. So, Matthew Knowles believes in tough love. That that's who he is as a boss, and I only know him as a boss, and I know him as a friend. And he believes in tough love. He <laughs> will he will get you to do what you know you're capable of doing. The fire came on the 8th, 9th, 10th, maybe about the 11th, I got a call from Matthew. And I did not get upset that I didn't hear from Matthew before because I know Matthew does not want to hear me crying over the phone. <laughs> so he, he said, you know, I didn't call before because I don't want to hear you crying on the phone. <laughs> and, uh, and then he said, what do you need? How much? I said, I, I don't know how to spend money right now. What, what, I, don't, I don't really know. He said, well, what do you need? I said, Matthew, we just moved into this rental it's a beautiful house. There's nothing in it. The first night, so that must have been the 12th. The first night I slept for the first time in my entire life, not even during slumber parties, I always took the bed. Mm. I did not sleep on a rug. Rugs are <laughs> hard to sleep on. This is really, it's rough. It's terrible. It's like, you know. 
he said, okay, all right, I'm going to have Lynn call you. So Lynn calls his, his um, executive assistant, Lynn Almanza from Music World. She calls and she said, how many rooms? I tell her. What size beds? I tell her. Okay. About four or five hours passed by. And we had in the rental the circular driveway. I missed that circular driveway. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was terrible during the snow, but it was so great. And um, there was this big truck trying to come up the driveway. So I ran it. I said, you sure you can make it? He said, yeah, 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 yeah. We've delivered here before. I said, okay. I said, well, what are you delivering? Because I just moved here and I didn't order anything. And that man opened the trunk of that big truck. And... Matthew Knowles bought mattresses for every bed. And um, to this day, I am so grateful. It's been 10 years. We just got rid of those mattresses because you're supposed to change them every 10 years. <laughs> mattresses. Mattresses. You know. And then Angie... Angela Beyonce, who is Miss Tina's niece and was Destiny's Child's assistant, and we did a lot of road trips together, <laughs> showed up at my house, said, where are the girls? I said, they're upstairs, trying to figure out these rooms. <laughs> and she took them. She just took them. She spent a whole day out with them, and she came back, and you couldn't see. The, 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 the truck was just packed and she spent the entire day in that rental going from one room to the other. And she did not leave that house until the girls, both rooms, were done. Mm. What she did was she took them and just let them pick out their own things. She said, after what they've been through, you can't say you have to sleep in this bed, that sheet. And she, everything they wanted, I was like, because... I could not do anything. I was so, people don't understand. When you lose everything in a fire, it's a funeral without a coffin. Mm. What you're bearing are your memories. You're bearing everything you've worked for. Everything you thought was safe isn't. You start going back in your head. The fireman said there were five hotspots in a house that we had inspected that we were already living there for eight years. The biggest hotspot was in my youngest daughter's bedroom. So in my head, I'm going back, what if I was on the road with the girls? What if, I was, what if it was two o'clock in the morning? Thank God it was 11 o'clock in the morning. What if it was two o'clock in the morning? We'd have never gotten out. You know, just, you know. You're always a victim. You're always a victim. Like I, I, I see a fire truck still scares me because when I got home, there were five. Mm. There were five. Our small town only has a volunteer fire department, so they had to, it was such a big fire, they had to call all back up from all the surrounding towns. But it, it re-established my belief in humanity. My neighbors, who I didn't know, were <laughs> looking me up and down. I'm like, what, what, what? Just trying to see your size. Okay, I'll be right back. Jeans. Oh. My daughter's sweater will, will fit you. She just left for college a month ago. She doesn't need that sweater. Here. Mm. Amazing. And my family in Brooklyn, 
when they came and blessed that new house, you know there were no ghosts. They like, <laughs> brought roti and everything and sorrel and ginger beer and curry this. It was amazing. Are you still the little girl from Grenada? Eight years old, Yvette Noel. I'm stuck there. She is sensitive. She cries for everything. Every once in a while, she gets very brave because she hears her papa say you could do it. But for the most part, I am the girl that wants to heal the world. I want everybody to be good. I, um, I no longer crave for everybody to like me. That was something I really wanted. And I realized that not everybody's going to like you. Um, but I think it's important that we respect each other. I have a very selfish way of living and why I love people uh, all the time. There's, here's my selfish reason for loving people. I believe that every single person I come into contact with is capable of saving my life. I feel that if we closed our eyes and we didn't see people's skin color and their hair texture and all of that, that underneath the skin, it's one color. It's one color. When a doctor opens up someone's chest to massage their heart, the heart looks the same. A black heart is not black. A white heart is not white. They all kind of ran with some green veins and all kinds of stuff. And I believe that the stranger on the subway could have the stem cells I need if something <laughs> happens to me. So I'm like, hi! Yeah. <laughs> I just feel that if we thought of humanity, if we thought of other humans as that person that could come to my rescue, I think we all have to be our brother's keeper. We have to care about people a little bit more. I've um, fallen in love with New Zealand because I feel that that place has that energy. Um, they have that energy of caring for each other. Um, and I love that. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that. I hope that, you know, with what's happening tomorrow, um, I, I hope that when people go to the polls, that they remove themselves from who they are and assume they're someone else. Assume you're gay. Assume you're an immigrant. Assume you're a college student that cannot afford to go to school. Assume that you're a woman whose rights are being threatened. Assume that you're living in a place that has a hole in the ozone layer because our planet is falling apart. And now assume that you know that there are people who feel the same way and they are powerful to change that. Their names are on this thing in front of you, whether it's paper, whether it's digital, whether it's, whether it's hit a button, whether it's crank something, their names are on there. They're on there. There are people who think like you who really want to make a difference. The first thing I did when I became 18 was, okay, when do I get my citizenship? When do I, because I, I've always been very, very involved with politics. My grandfather was really, really involved in politics. And I just felt that you cannot do anything if you didn't get involved. People just talk such crap, man. <laughs> it's just, you, you know, I just, I posted something where I said, um, like, no, I wrote something. I said, your, your, your vote is the loudest silent voice you will have. You don't have to say anything. You just go in there. You don't say anything. But you're making such noise with your vote. I cannot believe that I had to go through a process of 
learning every rule in America that Americans <laughs> don't even know. I had to know every single amendment by heart. I had to study and study and study. That's how much I wanted to be an American. That's how much I wanted to have an American passport, have the right to vote. And you're born into this country. You're born into this country and you are going to sit home on the 6th of November? I'm sorry. That is just like Oprah said, you know, uh, voting is not just your right. It's your responsibility. You are responsible for the next thing that happens to you, your neighbors, your neighbor's children, those children's children. What we vote for will determine what this country looks like years and years from now. I'm going to be turning to grain of sand, okay? <laughs> At some point, we all are, and you want to know that you have done something to leave a better world behind. For sure. I hope people go to the polls tomorrow. For sure. I hope so. Man. And, uh, you know, I love seeing that uh, early voting is up by a lot. Yes. And I love seeing that there's a lot of young people going out and voting. Yeah. Do you know what yesterday was? It was 14 days until your birthday. <laughs> and 10 years. 10 years ago, a man named Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. Yes. Was the president-elect. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, you've come a long way from going to see Mr. Fred. <laughs> exactly. And writing down those lists. You've, you've written a lot of things down. You crossed off a lot of things and you made it. A long, long way from Grenada, but you're still that girl. And thank you so much for coming all this way up here to the Upper West Side and thank sharing you. your story. I'm so honored to be here. You guys are amazing. Thank you. Very what thank you, you do is so amazing. Thank you for including me. Thank you for giving me a seat at the table. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of Waste Time with It's The Real. Jeff, people want to find out more about us. I'm Eric. You are Jeff. Together, we're It's The Real. If people want to find out more about this podcast, it's called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. And we have our other podcast called Two Jews and Two Black Jews Review the Movies. People want to find out anything about us, Jeff. Anything that's going on with It's The Real. Where can they go? You can always go to itsthereal.com. I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L.com. It's The Real. Dot com. You can also go to iTunes, search for A Waste of Time with It's The Real, or go to soundcloud.com slash a waste of time, or soundcloud.com slash two Jews, two black dudes, or if you're looking on Spotify, because everybody is now going to Spotify thanks to Joe Button. Yes. Search for us on Spotify, A Waste of Time with It's The Real. Yeah. Jeff, people like the internet. Yeah. People like to socialize on the internet. Mm -hmm. Where can people socialize with us? You can go to blackplanet.com. No, you can go to uh, Twitter at It's The Real, Facebook at It's The Real, Instagram at It's The Real. We're on Reddit still? We are on Reddit still. We didn't delete the profile. All right, so cool. It's, it's It's The Real on there. There you go. And uh, yeah, just, just go anywhere. It's The Real. All right, great. I just want to do a quick plug for our music, Jeff. We have an album out there called Teddy Bear Fresh, and I was listening to it just yesterday on the train. Guess what? Still good? Still good. Oh, thank God. People should go check that out on Spotify, uh, Apple, iTunes, uh, Audio Mac, SoundCloud, wherever you can find it. It's the real one word, no possible, no spaces, Black Planet. Jeff, we like to shout out all the people who are good to us by spreading the word about this very podcast of ours. We appreciate the fact that you guys love us so much that you are willing to put your names out there, your reputations out there, and rock for your boys. It's the real. So, Jeff. 
Who do you want to shout out today? I want to shout out Raven, mm-hmm. Ray VB, yeah. the photographer who was killing it on tour, the On The Run tour yes. for uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce. Right. I also want to shout out Sophie Ash, All right. who used to work within that camp as well. And I want to shout out uh, Beyonce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I would like to shout Jay-Z and Lenny S and Bob Parker and Ty Ty and everybody that we saw at Lenny S's Halloween party, which was a great time. But for the purposes of this episode, Jeff, I want to shout out our friend down there in Port St. Lucie, Beatmaker, mm-hmm. Lauren. Lauren. Shout out to Lauren, who is such a great dude and a great supporter of us, but the one thing that sets him high above everybody else... He has every incarnation of It's the Real Shirt. The Lakers t-shirt, the Rockefeller t-shirt, the Rough Riders t-shirt, the AKA t-shirts. He has them all. Oh, we should send him a We the Best one. Damn it. We just sent out a thing to him yesterday. Yeah. All right, Lauren. Look out for another package coming to you soon. And for those of you who have not gotten your t-shirts, go to itsthereal.com slash shop right now and grab yours. We will send it to you tomorrow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Whenever. Uh... Man, I can't believe that, you know, our walls have finally caved in. All right, quick little update on the wall. Our guys here are looking very confused. <laughs> so I wonder if it's... If they're making a duplex? No, I wonder if it's going to be a bigger problem than it already was. Well, speaking of walls... Fuck Donald Trump. Yes. Fuck Donald Trump. Yes. Fuck Donald Trump. Yes. Uh, tear down that wall. Yes. Just like this wall is being torn down right here. And uh, vote November 6th. Tomorrow. Go get it. As always, guys, not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys next week. Right.